0: What's up everyone? This is Moshaba from the All Things ASR podcast, where we talk about AR, VR, spatial computing, and the metaverse. Joining me today is one of the legends in the spatial computing space, Ronnie Ababitz, founder of Magic Leap and founder and CEO of Sun and Thunder. He is Ronnie. Please enjoy. Hi, Ronnie. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks very much. Welcome to the All Things XR Podcast. So, Ronnie, let's uh, just get into the hottest topic of the tech world right now, metaverse. Um, can you tell us what is your definition of metaverse and how do you see it as an evolution of the Internet?
1: So, first of all, um, I always like to be a little bit difficult, but I, I like to call it the X-verse. Uh-huh. The X meaning a variable. Um, in the sense that I think there's going to be multitudes of different shades and colors and views of it. I think there's going to be probably as many X as there are web pages today, maybe even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you as a person might punch out, um, you know, one day an verse as quickly as you write a, a blog or something or make a podcast. So I feel like, it is absolutely not going to be something dominated by one company. It's going to be highly fragmented. Um, and I think if you look at the scale and speed that's, that the underlying telecommunication networks are giving us, the massive competing power, the almost uh, unlimited freedom, it feels, um, it feels like impossible for a company, other than to psychologically to convince you that they have a hold on it. It's this almost infinitely expanding set of things like a fractal within fractals that no one can own or control uh, because it's just going to be people's imaginations running wild across all kinds of networks that are getting faster and computing's getting faster. So I like I like Xverse because um, a friend of mine and, and someone who worked uh, at Magic Leap with me was Neil Stevenson. He coined Metaverse in Snow Crash and we spoke about it for, for a long time. And that book and his name for something was very specific. And I think what we're building and what people are building is not that specific thing he described. Uh, so I, I like the idea of just putting a variable, generic variable, so that every company could put you know, whatever whatever your brand name is, something verse on it, just like a domain name. Uh, so I like the idea of X verse or X describing the whole field because it doesn't uh, link you to a particular book or a bit or a particular idea. Keeps it neutral. Keeps it hyperscalable. Um, I do think it is getting built and is an, is a kind of nonlinear extension to today's uh, web. I think there's no doubt about that. Uh, and today's web is really just connecting massive computing and phones and tablets and PCs and what we're doing now across Zoom. Uh, and I think what happens is we just move from that to different interfaces so that computing no longer feels uh, something that you hold in your hand or that you look at. It's just simply all around you. So I, I do like the idea of a spatial web is a nice way to describe what the x will become. Uh, and we talked about that uh, some years ago. Uh, and spatial computing is like one of the drivers of the spatial web. But I think When you think spatial web you think this massive interconnected network of networks and system of systems all coming together Um, and i think the most profound thing that many people have not yet experienced is what does it mean to be surrounded by compute not looking at it so living inside compute where it's everywhere and it has massive scale not just like that it's powerful but that instead of looking at a 15 inch screen, your compute takes over your neighborhood. You know, graphics, you could have characters that are 200 feet tall standing outside uh, your house. Uh, Video games are not small things that you have in your hand. They have the scale of the whole planet. Um, And I think we'll start to have planetary scale games and, and experiences that just feel massive. They feel like the real world because uh, the real world has immense scale. It has like massive field of view and has amazing vistas and just things that like no television, no movie theater, no laptops can capture. Eventually these sort of spatial web, spatial computing experts, things will, will give you that feeling. And I've had like little glimpses of that along the way. Um, and when you, when it all comes together, if you have some imagination, you can see where we are now and what it looks like, you know, at the end of this decade, what does it look like in the 2030s? It's It should be just completely amazing. And I think the people who push it away as hype are, you know, right on one level, because it's just like words flying around without a lot of meaning. But the people who really are are in the core who are building it, they know it's not hype. They know what they're building now. They know the next two or three generations, because all that R&D is going on, they've tasted what the 2030s will look like. And it's just unbelievable. So, And I think it's the problem I've always had is some of it is so amazing, so cool. People just think of it as a hype thing versus like, no, there's a really big vision and this is going to be utterly amazing. Uh, When you've got the really, really good stuff. And one one way I, I like to think about our journey there is like, We are in these stages, almost like going to the moon, which is like, you know, the Mercury phase, Gemini, Apollo. I feel like we're still in the Mercury phase, like we're past the Alan Shepard. Like we did the first person. Now we've orbited the Earth a little bit. But as an industry, we haven't left uh, Mercury. I think we're near the end of Mercury. I think the middle of this decade to near the end of the decade will be Gemini where we get close to the moon, where we circle, where we do spacewalks. And as we get to like maybe late twenties and into the 2030s, we will be what I would call like the real moon landing of, of X-verse of spatial web. And people will feel like, Oh my God, this is breathtaking. This is unbelievable. But you have to have that kind of view. You have to go along that journey and not be cynical to see what's coming.
0: Mm -hmm. Great, great.
1: So, Rania, as you mentioned, um,
0: this metaverse uh, that um, all happens after someone named Neal Stephenson envisioned the place called the metaverse in a 1992 sci-fi novel named Snow Crash. What do you think about the power of storytelling and how it shapes the real world?
1: Yeah, I I think it's really important to go back to, like, what is the history of things? that create like these, these X verses. First of all, I think it's thousands of years old. Uh You go back thousands of years and you have shamans and, and creative people and storytellers that go back thousands of years in different cultures and different religions who are describing amazing things and imaginative things and whole worlds. Like you go back to like ancient religions, they're describing massive worlds with all sorts of strange things going on that make no sense. Um, and we started to put that down in paintings. We started to put that down uh, in books and fiction as we got closer to the, you know, late nineteenth uh, century and into the twentieth century. So that the way you would imagine a world and write it would be like Tolkien would write, uh, you know, like The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings trilogy or Asimov or something. So they were entire worlds were put down. Uh, whole mythopias on paper and paintings, and then film came around, and it was another way to imagine the world. So I think of all of this as the next canvas or the next typewriter for what people have been doing for thousands of years. So I think what Neil captured in Snow Crash was a manifestation in time of just another way an author or creator could put a world somewhere. Right. But I think world building and this idea of creating like worlds to be and visit, uh, you know, you've got like all kinds of tribes around the world. And they say, well, they already do that. You can go to Tibet and talk to, to monks and they say they already do visit through meditating all of these kind of worlds and places. Uh, they already have the built in technology you know, in, in, our, in our mind. So I think what's interesting is that computing is just another way to tap into something that seems to already be in our brain, storytelling seems fundamental, like neurologically fundamental. Maybe it's a survival thing or something else. Um, And I think what's really interesting is that the technology is not the most exciting thing. The most exciting thing is we're tapping into a storytelling engine in the brain that, that has been there for thousands, maybe tens of thousands of years that's in all cultures, all religions, all have it. And now a creator who really has that wide Asimov token-like imagination can go from book to painting the film to a new thing where that world can get much more realized. To me, that's super exciting. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, uh, Rani, I think it's valid to
0: say that you are the first one uh, to introduce to introduce Neil Stephenson's vision of the metaverse to the masses with uh, Magicverse. It was all over the news and even officially hired Neil Stephenson, the author of Snow Crash, uh, who coined the term. Can you tell us uh, what was the vision of Magic term Magicverse at that time?
1: Yeah, and it, and it was really uh, fun about that was that um, we kind of discussed it in 2018, it was uh, John Gaeta, who won the Academy Award uh, for The Matrix, like a great thinker of like volumetric cinema and volumetric worlds to, to live in. You know, if you think about what The Matrix was, it was picking up on some of those ideas and putting them in film. And, and he was part of that, which is kind of amazing. Uh, so he was part of our, of our team, Neil was part of our team. And we're like, well, what is this thing become? And I thought the most interesting thing was we didn't want to be the whole of it, right? So we thought the whole of it the, would be X verses. The X meaning a variable at every company, every individual, every, every, everywhere, they could all have their own spin on it. So like millions of planets, millions of these bubbles or spheres that uh, anyone can scratch their own thing. So the magic verse was our view of something uh, that wasn't meant to be the all encompassing everything because I don't believe that any one group can have the all-encompassing everything. It'll be a collective, again, like these fractal bubbles all coming together, you know, coming and going. But um, what we imagined was a world that was both digital and physical. And what I liked about the concept of spatial computing, uh, and again, I, I like to use the word XR sometimes instead of the AR or VR, because it sort of means the variable of the whole spectrum. So what I mean by the whole spectrum, and I'll I'll explain what what we were thinking. You have the physical world as it is. And I I used to call that world zero. You just wake up in the morning, look out, and there it is. So we get that. Then if you put in a little bit of augmentation, uh, you start to see digital things in that world cohabiting in that world. And I always think about that as like, uh, think about like French new wave films, Films without any special effects, that's like world zero. That's just native. And then you blend in visual effects, like a Lord of the Rings movie. There's real people, there's digital things, artfully blended perfectly. That's, that's the middle of the spectrum, uh, which I thought was like, you know, we started calling it mixed reality and then people started doing like that term lost meaning. Uh, AR kind of had that meaning and then it got lost because people started calling everything that too. Um, so I like the, the XR We you're on a spectrum from world zero to some digital things blended with the world to going all digital. And my belief is that we will get to systems that do all of that in one device because that's really what you want. And the concept of a, of a verse that lets you have many, many layers um, in any one physical place on the planet. So if you take the idea to the fullest extent, There's a digital twin of the planet. And at any point, there's infinite amount of worlds at that point. Some of those worlds relate to the physical world. And some of them are just kickoff points for entirely virtual worlds. So you have like an infinite um, branching from anywhere on earth of both layers that you could be in and also just hop off into virtual worlds, uh, thinking about that one day there'll be a device that lets you go from zero to full and everything in between And that was trying to think later this decade into the 2030s. And by the way, I still think that is what's going to happen. Um, And I think that's probably ultimately what people really want. No friction, anywhere you are, conjure any combination of of real world, digital, go all in, go back instantly. Uh, You know, you're you're in Central Park in New York. I want to be in Paris. I want to be on Mars. I want to be someone really cool. I want to be back in Central Park, make it all go away instantly. That is the kind of thing where this really starts to take off.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so, Ronnie, as you said, um, there may be two kinds of metaverses, um, AR metaverses, which happen around real world physical locations and objects, and the other is a kind of ready player one uh metaverse where you fully get immersed in a virtual world which one uh, do you think we will get to first and uh, which one do you think has the more potential
1: i think they're both being built in parallel i actually think they're both just showing up at the same time um and i actually love the idea that you didn't have to choose mm-hmm. i love the idea that you could um i'll describe i'll describe something I won't name the the director but was working with like a a really cool amazing director who's like a like a science fiction director is awesome did a lot of cool things he built a virtual world and i visited him we just felt a fully immersive world full of amazing creatures and he and i went on a journey inside it like on a little river and we met all these creatures in a forest it was just utterly amazing and he did such a wonderful job of creating this like holistic world and then what we wanted to do was say okay imagine there's a portal and that when you leave that world those creatures can now pop out of that portal and hang out with you in yours mm-hmm. um so they could leak into this world and you can go there and we thought that would be the ultimate mix that you visit them and then they could come visit you so that you might be at work. And if you found, made friends with all those creatures, they're just running around your house or bits of that you could bring back like from a trip, but that your ability to like move in and out of this membrane, like I, th- I thought of it as like semi-permeable membranes between our world and others. And that things could leak in and out would be really what should happen. And this idea of like AR is better than VR ultimately is just silly because the device could do both. And in fact, uh, you'll start, you'll see early next year systems that do both uh, different, you know, some will do video pass through, some will do uh, unique optics with all kinds of other technology that, that do it. But the, the idea that like people are creating this hard line distinction, I think is somewhat silly because when you solve the tech to do both, it's actually wonderful to pop in and out. Uh, when, and then you have no limit as a, as a customer, no limit as someone who wants to have a great experience, which way you want to go, which is, I think, going to be really cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. I agree. agree. Uh, so, Ronnie, getting to your uh, current company, Sun and Thunder, uh, can you tell us more about it and what's the vision behind it?
1: Yeah, so it's... Um, uh, first of all, it's, it's very centered on trying to be a hyper creative effort. So leaning much more on that, Um, something which I've always uh, leaned to. And I, uh, in in the past, I've tried to balance, you know, hard tech and creative. So in this company, it's like, I want to make sure it comes across more like a Pixar, more like a Disney, more like a Lucas. You can't confuse it for anything other than it's a creative thing. Now having hard deep tech inside is absolutely something we're working on. Uh, to enable some of the wild things we're doing. But I would say part of what I'm imagining is beyond where everyone's heads at right now. Like what happens when the things people are talking about begin to manifest? What is next? Mm-hmm. Um, and what are the, what is does computing look like? So there's a big question of like, we are working on like, I'd call a new computing architecture. Uh, as you move from today's world to that world, I start to think there's, Got to be new computing architecture, and how we do things as people will radically change. Uh, so, part of Sun and Thunder is like, what is that computing architecture, and how do we interact with that? Um, and then, how do you lay into that computing architecture what I described uh, as like a like how do you lay mythopias, like Tolkien style mythopias, um, onto these computing architectures? And and the reason I think that's an interesting problem is if you look at the complexity of making a very, very good piece of cinema, let's say uh, like a Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, like, you know, like 20, 30 films or something like the rings trilogies, you might have five, 10,000 people, 15,000 people working for like eight to 10 years or more uh, to create a slice of, of something very well done, like like the storytelling, the acting. it's all very well done, but you get two or three hours of it. So if you imagine that extrapolated to a world, do you need millions of people to make that happen? Like how do you, how do you create so much density of good stuff all, everywhere all around you? Because when I, when I notice what happens in, in virtual worlds is they're mostly dead. It looks like you're walking around a cardboard cut out town. You're either just shooting people, or you get really bored and there's not much to do, but it feels like very cardboard cutout feels very empty. Um, And I think that's a problem. And when you look at film that there's an intense density, every scene is well thought out. There's incredible writing. And it's like, you know, years of work give you two hours and that's it. But a world everywhere you go is endless. So one of the things I set out to solve in sun and thunder is what I, I describe as a Kyoto test. So I'll, I'll try to describe the Kyoto, like like yeah. the uh, city in Japan. And when I visited Kyoto in January of 2020, I visited with um, uh, uh, then Magic Leaps had a design, a uh, really brilliant guy named Gary Natsumi walked around Kyoto. And Kyoto is an amazing, magical place. It feels like you're walking in a Miyazaki film. And so I, I, I was thinking about this idea of a Kyoto test then, which is like how could you be somewhere for like three days straight and if it was synthetic or it was real the Kyoto test was like couldn't tell the difference and what I mean by that is not just visually it's like if you go to Kyoto anywhere you go you go into a building you go to a temple go to a restaurant there's you meet someone there that somebody has a story if you go back to their apartment there's photos on the wall you could follow the photos to a graveyard and and the history they did and like every single point of contact has an almost infinite thread of story and something rich there all around you. Mm -hmm. And you never hit this like cardboard cutout dead end. There's never like a non-player character who just walks around in circles. There's like just depth everywhere. So it's visually rich, but it's story rich. And what I mean by story rich, the stories are multidimensional. They're everywhere every like every rock every object has a story behind it every single thing has like meaning and you can go back and back like thousands of years where did this thing come from and how did the family get here so there's no end point whereas in virtual worlds today there's an end point so i thought if what will it take to make that happen because that's really what ultimately people want you have this like very deeply rich not just visual world but from a story mythology level, there's like endless things happening. And the way I thought of it is if you took like a, a really great film, that's two-dimensional. If you made that volumetric, you'd have to make the storytelling volumetric. You'd have to effectively, you'd have to make the world sentient. You'd have to take an author like Tolkien who would have to be built into that world. And that sentience would need to be... A, all the time, everywhere, making stories happen. And the entities would really need to have like almost life, uh, a kind of a synthetic life. And I, I feel like that's a very interesting problem, like not trying to emulate biologic life exactly, but could you create like conscious synthetic life in these worlds that give us infinite variability and richness? So that's, that's a very high level overview of it. (laughs) <laughs> great, great. Uh, Rani,
0: uh, latest news about Sun and Thunder avatars, AI avatars, reminded me of Mika. Can you say that is this some kind of extended
1: vision of Mika? Um, I actually think it's it's quite different. I'll try to illustrate oh. the differences. So um, uh, Mika or Mica was really a... Uh, an idea of bringing an incredibly realistic digital human. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for the people who saw it, I mean, like maybe, I think 10, 20,000 people got to see Micah uh, in different events um, around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the ones who saw it were just like, it was, it was extraordinary. Um, and the, the realism was her ability to walk around a physical place, walk around objects, sit down, work with you. There was an amazing experience we did. I think it was at GDC where you made a piece of art together. She'd come in and sit down and you'd sit down. She'd teach you how to paint and you would paint on something. And then she'd walk off and go behind a bookcase and she'd open doors and walls. It was, it was one of the most futuristic things uh, we ever did. I still think it's probably the most futuristic thing any, anyone's ever seen in XR period. Um, and it might take like 10 or 15 years before like stuff like that really manifests everywhere because it was like so far ahead, it just blew people's minds. But what we were trying to do was what does it take to make a presence so real that you believe there was a person there? Um, and part of what made Micah really special was she made direct eye contact with you. She would look you in the eye and she would read your expressions. And if you were sad and happy, she had emotional range reaction back. It was just kind of an amazing thing that we were really testing people's emotional reaction to a digital character, but the character itself didn't have a big brain yet. Right. So, so it was really, what I was amazed by was how little it took to get people to have deep emotional attachments to a digital person. Um, if you leave, leave that a second, the, I think on synthetic being, which is something sun and thunder is looking at, it's not, it's not chasing photorealistic human it's asking the question um can a synthetic being be made in a world that has a life separate from us that is rich and is independent and ultimately has a level of like creative consciousness like us or or surpasses it which is a different problem altogether um And I think Micah was really testing human emotional connection and gaze and behavior in a different way. This is actually more intrinsic. Like, can you create something that has like a creative consciousness? Um, And and like to answer that question, you actually get down to the physics of I'd say creative consciousness. Is it limited to human beings and our brain or is it a property of physics? Is it a property of the world that, Consciousness can reside in other things.
0: Great. Um, so, Rani, um, as uh, we all know, everyone's after creating their own metaverse. What do you think will be the killer app for the metaverse?
1: It's funny because I, I used to flip that question the other way. Uh-huh. I used to say the, the killer app for 5G and gigabit networks is the experts Mm. Mm -hmm. meaning um, there's been about like a trillion dollars or more of global investment in high-speed gigabit networks edge computing all of this stuff and I always ask myself why is this happening like what's it for Um, my phone gets fast enough music and video I don't really need it for that I don't really need it for for for, for much of anything on, on conventional computing, but you desperately need it for spatial computing, for spatial web, for experts. So I feel like there's been this massive, you know, hundreds of billions, I think it's around a trillion plus globally, of this underlying infrastructure, which will build a spatial computing um, bottom that will allow uh, wearable devices, drones, autonomous vehicles, robots, to share a digital space. I think what's really interesting about this is that it's not limited to people and wearable devices, like IOT devices, flying things, self-driving cars, and us wearing devices. We'll share this like physical digital space. And what it does, it gives us the ability to see the digital world that these machines um, already see on their own, like near self-driving car. It builds its own, you know, metaverse. It builds its own Xverse already. It's got a map of the whole world. It. reconstruction 3d what's going on we don't see that now we can see that now we could share a world with machines um kind of makes us a little bit of a cyborg but i feel like what we're doing is uh, these these machines that move in space i think are also spatial computing devices like a flying drone a self-driving car is a is a compute device moving through space it's not a pc sitting on a desk so Mm -hmm. i feel like that the killer app is the other way. I think the, like this whole collective system is the killer app of that underlying network. And inside that will be millions of use cases. But, you know, since you asked, I think one of them that will be quite interesting is what you, you and I are doing right now. Uh, the pandemic heightened the idea of presence through video. Like we now have these like video meetings in a, in a perfect manifestation of like these future x you you were meeting in my office, I'm meeting yours, and it feels like we've met in person. Uh, by the way, because of projects like Micah, I've seen what a near perfect representation of a human being looks like, and it would be amazing. If you go four or five years from now, you go to the end of the decade, you are in my office looking exactly like you or some cinematically perfect avatar. Um, or we're meeting in some virtual thing like the thing I'm in right now, like this, this whole or the movie Incredibles, or uh, wherever we want. But that meeting will feel, from a visual, sound field, and maybe even tactile level, like haptics, it's going to feel like we really met, and you'll be able to go anywhere instantly. So this kind of leaping through space and time, I think is going to be a killer app, because like, basically your move friction for travel, being there, meeting friends instantly... I think conferences will radically change. Like, why would you fly seven hours to go to Los Angeles or Europe when you can have a near perfect experience, which is not what Zoom does today, but but this next level of presence will do. And I, and I don't mean like Nintendo Wii avatar presence. I'm talking like when you get it really right, which these gigabit networks, coming CPUs and GPUs and like... The generation of devices that I saw could be built, like, you know, call it two or three generations from where we are, how perfect that will be. Uh, I think that is an amazing killer app because you jump through space, you jump through time, you can meet anywhere. I think it'll already change this like digital remote presence economy that grew because of the pandemic and it'll cement it. Mm
0: Great. Um, Ronnie. you're also into NFTs. Um, what's your opinion about them? And what do you think about the role of NFTs in the metaverse?
1: So I'm I'm torn on NFT a little bit. I'll tell you where I'm torn. I'm torn because the current manifestation is just terribly bad for the environment. <laughs> well, leave it at that. I think that gets solved at some point. Um, if you remove that for a second, you go, someone will solve that. Um, what I think is really interesting is the idea, because many of my friends are artists. In fact, uh, including the most famous NFT artists, people who mm-hmm. just sold another piece for 29 million. So I, I've been following this closely and, and, and you know, for, for some years, but also watching it take off in the last year. So I've got a lot of friends in the NFT community. And, and I think, what I like about it is it gives an artist a chance not only to make art, not only to have that art be seen, but to actually make a real living and make success, like tech founder level success um, from art. Um, and then if you extrapolate that, it won't just be art, it'll be digital, whatever. It could be code, it could be music, it could be you build an entire digital planet and then sell that as an NFT. So I think it'll give people who make digital things, like some ability to make it unique and to create economic value for themselves and others. And I feel like that is an important part of this coming world because you need some underlying economic rule set. What's also interesting about it and what I I think is really profound is the self-sovereign nature of uh, crypto and NFTs. And what I mean by self-sovereign, there is no one in charge other than the network scale mathematics that says, this is all held together by complex math and networks. So there's, in some way, even though it's not perfect now, human corruption is less a part of it. Now, it's that's a bit idealistic. Hopefully, that gets better and better. But, but crypto will allow people, regardless of country, to feel like there's maybe a stable currency. It's not completely true right now. That is beyond like the corruption of a government or an individual or a bank. It's just got so many users, the network effect and the math hold it together. So so the idea of like self-sovereign democratic systems, I think is even more important than NFT. And it's a it's a fundamentally interesting thing. And what does that mean for how these worlds are governed and run? I think if I think that's in counter opposition to what I call like the digital monarchies, like the big companies run by a single CEO that are worth trillions of dollars trying to build their own kingdoms. As metaverses and xverses, I feel like the the fight against that is this democratic, open, self sovereign systems that NFT and crypto hint at. So I feel like this is going to be really interesting. Like, are we all like serfs under some digital monarch, or do we break free and have these autonomous, uh, you know, self sovereign systems, and everyone has their own world, and uh, these worlds cooperate? And work and life and even governance of countries changes because of that. So I feel like there's really radical things that, that are in play here.
0: Mm-hmm. Great, great. Um, so that was my next question, Rony. Um, Do you think that these monarchies, um, like uh, Facebook with its MetaVision, and or um, not so monarch Niantic with its Um, AR Metaverse or Epic with Fortnite or it would be um, something like an open source decentralized form where um, it is operated but crypto oracles and NFTs which do you think is more realistic in the coming decades well I'll
1: tell you what I I think might happen. What I would like to have happen, and what may realistically happen in the conflicts, but um, without naming any one company, right? Um, but I feel almost everyone at some scale today is just a digital monarchy. <laughs> They're structured. You know, there's a king at the top or a queen at the top, and that's it. And there, some of them are more benevolent than others, but they operate according to a very pyramidal hierarchical structure. And that resembles more like monarchies than democracies. Like big companies look like monarchies. They don't look like democratic institutions because they're not. They're, there's a single figure in charge, sometimes balanced by a bit of a parliament. But still, there's, there's a king or queen, and that's, that's how it runs. And what's scary about that model is like they become a sovereign over a giant world that becomes all-encompassing. Uh, that becomes more important sometimes in the country you live in, that's that's actually scary and disturbing. So I feel like, but the promised people, it's easy to fall in that because it's easy to follow an alpha. It's easy not to think, and it's easy just to just to be more of a lemming and go with everyone else. What's harder is to rise to democracy and to rise to distributed peer-to-peer systems where everyone has to stand up on their own feet. Um, It's why the US democracy is so fragile uh, because I think it's a higher state of human consciousness to be wanting independence and self-determination and to cooperate and to give people rights. It's, It's like it requires a higher level. It's easier to fall back to a dictator or a king. And you see that when people lose faith, they fall apart. Dictators arise because they take advantage of everybody. Um, And the state of the world's the state of the world for thousands of years has been king, dictator, emperor, uh, you know, abusing the people that are under them and leveraging all of those people underneath Uh, real democracy where you give everyone a voice and everyone can have their peace and everyone have their own self-sovereign banner and their own thing and not be a subject. You know, the, the president is not our king. We hire and fire the president such a radical idea, but it's also fragile. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what's interesting is like, I hope that thing is the driving force behind these future X verses. like that's, that's what I want to throw my, myself into and my weight behind. Um, I do think it'll be in conflict, just like in the real world that you'll have many countries or X-verse countries or X-verse worlds run by dictators mm-hmm. and sometimes those are very efficient there's fast decision making uh they make the rules there are some countries overseas where this is how it's going to be the country and that country's uh experts are one and the same like it's a surveillance state your digital physical life is completely controlled like george orwell 1984. Mm-hmm. um and i think it's really going to become an interesting battle for people like, do you want to be self-determined and independent and have a, a equity and egalitarian, or do you want to be, you're, you know, living under one person who makes all these decisions? So I, th- I think this is a struggle that's been going on since people were born, like, you know, from, from the dawn of people, like in the beginning of 2001, the dawn of man. Um, and now it's just taking place in a new, new sphere where instead of just living in a country or on a computer screen, we literally can build whole worlds that have giant populations around us. And now we're going to sprout either more dictators or more democracies. I, th- I think in my mind, that's what it comes down to, the sort of culture clash of like, where is the human uh, social psyche going? Ah, great,
0: great. So, Ryan, do you have any book or movie recommendations for people
1: listening to the podcast and this topic? Oh, that's, that's a great one. Um, I think like just to kind of uh, be in the science fiction side of things, you know, Mm. you know, uh, I think just, you know, Snow Crash and a bunch of Neil Stevenson's books are almost like mandatory reading. It's like (laughs) the arithmetic. Um, I happen to like uh, Ready Player One. Uh, We were advisors with Spielberg on the film for a bit, which was really fun. Um, it's a, it's a easier to swallow version of like snow crash. It's like came later inspired by it, but it's, it's like uh, you know, if, if you're a, a video game geek, you'll like it. It's a, it's a, I think the book and the movie just kind of give you a, a, a taste of thing. Uh, Rainbow's end is a, another good primer. Just to understand things. But actually what I really like is like the, like CS Lewis and Tolkien books. You know, like the Narnia books and and the uh, all of the the Tolkien books because they get down to serious mythological world building, mythopia building. Um, I think Asimov did that in in his books as well, but I'm more partial to sort of like the 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 C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. And I think there's like lots of great like philosophy of democracy books, like uh, the writings of Jefferson, uh, Adams, like Washington. I think. Weirdly, reading about the founders of the US, which sprouted democracy in the midst of global monarchy, is an interesting thing to do. Uh, one of my friends is like a constitutional historian and an attorney, but he loves that whole period of like, you know, like with Adams and Washington Jefferson, he sort of got me into all this. So he's constantly writing about all that. If you go read it. Uh, if you go read all those early works, um, they are quite revolutionary where they're rejecting the idea of monarchy and the idea that Washington left. They wanted to make him king and he said no. You know, two terms and done. I have not seen somebody walk away voluntarily. Think about what just happened in this country. Can you imagine a president voluntarily walks away when they want to anoint him king? And you see so many countries so many places where you got to peel this crazed dictator out and often they're like you know caught in a hole or they burn down their whole country or something horrible happens the greatness of washington was he could have been the monarch and he walked away that's a one in a thousand years kind of event not because it was the rule not because of anything because he knew it was the right thing to do and i feel like studying that it's got, it's got lots of imperfections, right? Like they, they missed women, they missed people of, of color, they missed so many other things. But like, you know, so you have to upgrade the software for what they were thinking to today. But the walking away from power, which is also something Tolkien talked about, you know, where the hobbits get the ring and ultimately they have to put it in the volcano and destroy that power is, is an essential notion of democracy. No person should hold that power. So I feel like books um, like the, the, the founders of the United States and others that, that write about early democracy, it's worth reading if you care about where these X-verses will go because it's, it's a power play or it's not a power play. For some, it's a power and economic control play. For others, it's creative expression, freedom, and imagination. And we're going to go one way or the other, and there's going to be a big culture clash.
0: Mm-hmm. Great, great. So, Rania, as of our last question, how do you envision the future of AR and VR?
1: I like to be hopeful. Uh-huh. Um, I think you know if we l- let's go out uh, near the end of this decade into mm-hmm. you know late twenties, early early twenty thirties, and I I have a very good insight into what's going on at at, at a bunch of companies. Um, and the amount of money they're spending. so I know what, what I was able to do with what seemed like a lot of capital. but when you're a, when you're a company spending what we had in 10 years every two or three months, I know what's possible there. So you're going to get something that's like ultimately very lightweight like I'm wearing with a human field of view. Mm-hmm. right? What I mean by human field, you will just you'll just get it right and you'll get to human natural resolution, which is really important. So human natural resolution, I won't go into the physics or math of that right now, but people can look that up. So I think there's human field of view. You can go all the way or human field of view through a pair of glasses. They're two different things. But um, you know what you see through the glasses completely, all of it is, is a really nice place to be. Mm. Um, and human natural resolution, like pure spatial retina resolution is a nice place to be. And you'll, you'll work indoor and outdoor. Uh, you'll run all day long, and you know, drop it on your on your night table or something, and it'll charge on a mat or something simple. Um, and you won't really know that you have it on because you won't feel like you're looking through a video display, which is why I, I'm not a fan of like video pass through. I don't believe people want to spend all day long looking through a video display. You want to look through not something true. that ultra clear, super thin optics. That's like looking through like pure glass or something even smaller and thinner, that just some like substrate that really uh, your mind can almost erase. Like when you wear glasses or sunglasses, you just eliminate that tiny little substrate. So it's got to be like that level, whereas looking through a video display never gets there. Um, And the signal that you get is going to mimic more and more like the real physics and neuroscience connection that needs to happen. Your brain wants something because we evolved our whole human experience to get something in our brain from the physics of the world. The farther you are from that, the more conflict and negativity you get in terms of feeling pain and and issues, and it's not tolerant, the closer you get the better. I feel like near the end of the decade, uh, we will get just more and more perfect. And you'll have this like seamless experience of like, you want something, it's there, you don't want it, it's gone. Uh, You want the largest movie screen in the world to just appear perfectly while you're hanging out at the beach. It happens. You want to summon your friends for a game of chess. Boom. So you you will feel personally, I think like the kids from Harry Potter, you will feel like you have just summoning of magic of, and you'll have to learn like the code words and and the gestures or whatever it is, but it really will feel like you're living in a Harry Potter world. Like if you could imagine that, And when you take it off, the magic's gone. And you put it back on and the magic's there. But it will be light and seamless. And I think that is where I think the smartest people in the industry, they're all going. And I think the ones that really tasted it know that's possible.
0: Mm -hmm. Great. Well, Ronnie, it was an honor having you on the All Things XR podcast. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun and uh, really love what you're doing.
0: Thanks very much Tony.